Welcome to the markets. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson with our weekly look at activities on Wall Street and in the agricultural world. And the dateline, Chicago, Friday, February 22nd. And we generally start with the numbers for the day and for the week, but I'm going to do it a little differently because just before I walked into the studio late Friday, these two bulletins appeared on my Reuter computer. Bulletin number one, China has agreed to buy up to $1.2 trillion in U.S. goods. And then bulletin number two, U.S. and China discussing late March summit between President Trump and President Xi at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. This is sort of typical of the bulletins and headlines that have been moving across the news services for the past, well, who knows how long, but certainly intensified uh, since the 1st of January. And we have to deal with them every day. And the question I always have is, how much can you believe of what China has to say about its crop size, about the money it will spend on American agricultural products? But this is what we're dealing with. We share them with you, and I guess you have to make up your mind on what headlines and numbers you're going to believe. So now, let's get to the numbers for the day and for the week. For the day, the Dow up 179 points to close the week at 26,029, back above that 26,000 level. The S&P 500 up 17 points, closing the day and the week at 27.92. And the NASDAQ closed 67 points higher for the day at 75.26. And the S&P 500 posted its highest closing level since November 8. And taking a look at the weekly change, the S&P rose two-thirds of a percent. The Dow added a little more than half a percent, and the Nasdaq gained three-quarters percent. Now, looking at some of the interesting reports and numbers that came out on this last trading day of the holiday shortened trading week, As we said, the S&P 500 posted its highest closing level since November 8, as investors continued to cling to signs of progress in the ongoing trade talks between the U.S. and China. Again, a slew of headlines on the talks with top trade negotiators from the two countries meeting to wrap up a week of discussions on some of the thornier issues in the trade war. And, of course, we've heard this line over and over. If the two sides fail to reach a deal by midnight on the 1st of March, then their seven-month trade war could escalate. But there again is another headline that's been appearing several times on this Friday. The presidents of the two countries will be meeting in late March, and so then maybe the deadline would be extended to that meeting in late March. 
Optimism on the trade front, dovish signals from the U.S. Federal Reserve have driven the recent gains and left indices well above their lows of December. You remember what a bad month December was. The smart, uh, the market swooned on fears of an economic slowdown. But the S&P 500 is now up about 19% since its low in late December. The number of New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ stocks hitting 52-week highs hit 367 today. That's the most since mid-September and outnumbered those hitting yearly lows by the widest margin in six months. The big story today that I also want to talk about is one of the earnings reports. Kraft Heinz down 27% in its stock price today, a record low after the food company disclosed a $15 billion write-down on its marquee branch the uh, and raising concerns that years of rigorous cost-cutting have ended the value of its Kraft cheeses and Oscar Mayer deli meats. Kraft's revenue growth has stagnated in the years since it merged with Heinz. Consumers are shunning some of the older established brands in exchange for newer products, cheaper private label brands, and non-processed and organic food. So the shares fell as much as 28% to a low of $34.51, that wiped out in one day seven billion seventeen billion dollars off the company's market value, and uh, quite a day for Kraft Heinz as they certainly made the kind of news they didn't want to make. Uh, Tesla in the news again uh, today too to end the trading week. The uh, company has started delivering Model 3 cars in China, slightly ahead of schedule. It looks to revive its sales that have been hit hard by the China-U.S. trade tensions. And the California-based firm has already adjusted prices. It's added a cheaper Model 3 to its lineup to make its U.S.-made cars more affordable and China, and that comes amid high import tariffs. It had initially projected a March start for Model 3 deliveries in China. That's the world's biggest auto market, but overall car sales contracted in 2018 for the first time in more than two decades. We're continuing to watch that auto industry worldwide have its challenges as uh, slowdowns in some of the models and uh, increases in other models have changed the marketing plans for automobile companies. Uh, Two-door, four-door sedans, not nearly as popular as they were a few years ago. Now it's the SUVs and the pickup trucks that are taking the lead in the market share. And uh, looking ahead to next week, here's what we can expect. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will testify on Wednesday at a House hearing on U.S.-China trade issues. 
Lighthizer has been the lead negotiator in the ongoing trade negotiations with Beijing as the two countries work on that. The Commerce Department expected to report its reading on fourth quarter gross domestic product on Thursday. On Wednesday, the Commerce Department will release data on factory goods orders for December. Factory goods orders likely to have risen about six-tenths of a percent compared to a fall of that same size in November. And a report from the Commerce Department scheduled for Tuesday will show housing starts are expected to be at 1,253,000 units in the month of December compared to 1,256,000 in November. And the report will also show building permits likely to be at 1,290,000 units in December and uh, the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Composite Index of Home Prices, also scheduled for relief uh, release on the same day, and the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index uh, for February will also be released on that same day. Now, some of the earnings reports that we'll be looking at next week. Home improvement retailer Home Depot expected to report a growth in fourth quarter sales boosted by the growth in home remodeling activity and rising consumer spending on repair and remodeling projects. U.S. consumer tech retailer Best Buy expected to post a decline in holiday quarter sales on Wednesday as fears of of a slowdown in economic growth hit consumer spending. Department store operator Macy's expected to post a drop in fourth quarter same-store sales on Tuesday in a broadly weak holiday quarter after slashing full-year profit and sales forecast in January. J.C. Penney expected to post another decline in same-store sales for the holiday quarter on Thursday. J.C. Penney has been actively cutting costs by closing stores, trying to efficiently control its inventory to avoid excess discounting. Getting into the food department, Jif peanut butter maker J.M. Smucker expected to post an increase in third quarter sales on Tuesday thanks to higher demand, not for its peanut butter, but for its premium pet foods. Thomson Reuters, that's the service that provides us with much of the news and information that we get on the market activity. It will be reporting fourth quarter and full year results on Tuesday. Gap expected to report a fall in fourth quarter sales Thursday as its namesake brand continues to struggle with weak demand. And uh, TJ Maxx and Marshall stores during the holiday season will be reporting what happened as far as demand at their stores. Milan expected to report a drop in its fourth quarter sales and profit after the market close on Tuesday. And investors will focus on any strategic updates from the company, as well as performers uh, performance of uh, some of their other products. And looking at the price of oil this week, well, oil prices touched their highest level since mid-November. 
posted weekly gains for the second week in a row, boosted by hopes that U.S.-China trade talks, boy, that phrase is in every market report we do anymore, hoping that uh, the U.S.-China trade talks would soon produce a deal. Brent crude futures uh, reached $7.73 a barrel during the day. Uh, and ended five cents lower at $67.12. U.S. crude up 30 cents for the day to settle the week at $57.26 a barrel. And uh, again there, the oil market impacted by the success or lack of success in China and the United States coming to an agreement on the trade issues that separate those two countries. Well, the agricultural picture, yeah, we'll take a look at that. Max Armstrong is about to sit down with market analyst Jim McCormick when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Joining us in the studio to talk about markets this weekend, Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Good to see you here again, sir. Thank you for having me on. And agmarket.net is a division of another firm. It is a division of John Stewart and Associates is who we are a division. They are a commercial grain division company, IB, pretty much, and they want to start a new ag division for farmers. And uh, we're, we're part of that group. It's me, Brian Split, Bill Biederman, and Matt Bennett. You've been in this business a while yourself, haven't you? Uh, this will be my 24th year in this business. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> times like you've never seen before, I guess, uh, for most of us who've followed the market world for quite some time there's never been anything quite like this i would agree with that 100 percent. i mean we are definitely in some interesting times um with the politics the trade tariffs going on um it's just been it's been a tough year for a lot of producers it's been a tough year for just the industries as a whole i think right now because these trade tariffs have put everybody into a little bit of a pause mode and uh got a lot of people questioning what's going to happen next max even if there's good news or what is immediately perceived as good news, it's going to be tough to sustain much of a rally on the back of that, isn't it? Well, I, I actually think there's a little bit two dynamics. I think the bean market's going to be very tough to struggle, plain right. and simple. We, With us missing this business the last year, it's lost business, in my opinion. Um, we did ship some grain to Argentina, but our ending stocks have ballooned to a little over 900 million, 900 million bushels. Um, even planting three or four million less acres of beans, we're still going to have an abundant supply of beans. It, the, you know, a good crop could push it over a billion bushel carryout. So beans are going to struggle. Rallies and beans are probably going to need to be taken uh, aggressively sold, plain and simple. On the other hand, though, corn is a little bit, little bit different situation. The projected corn carryout right now is about a billion seven hundred thirty-five million. That's actually six hundred million less bushels than what it was a year ago at this time. So you look at where we're at right now. That kind of carry-in, if we only plant two and a half to three million more acres of corn, which is kind of what the USDA is thinking, which is what the trade's thinking, Max, if we have just a trend yield with two to three million more acres of corn, we're barely going to consume, produce what we consume year in, year out. So there's very, very little margin for air. So if we have too wet of a spring, 
too cold of a spring, I think you could see people try to put some weather premium in the market. The other wild card is China. When we talk about China in these trade talks, China has always bought U.S. beans. When they went into this tariff battle, they quit buying our beans. When they come back in, we solve this trade tariff hopefully very soon. They're just going to come back into the market that we were expecting just a year ago. Corn, on the other hand, they haven't bought a lot of corn for us for years now. And they've been blocking distillers' grains for years now. So they're talking buying three, five, eight million metric tons of corn. Well, if they buy three to five million metric tons of corn, you're talking a drop in the carryout, 100 to 200 million more bushels. So instantaneously, the moment that China buys corn, our carryout will go from 1735 to possibly 1535, if not lower. And that could be a game changer, especially with a wet spring. The president even tweeted about it the other day, did he not? Refer- referencing the fact that uh, China could. Uh and I forget how the president phrased it, but it, it, it made people think that there could be some significant corn business with China. The insinuation is lots of corn is how he likes to like how he phrased it, I believe. But the industry, you've heard a lot of people talking industry, three million metric tons, five million. The high number I've heard is as much as eight million metric tons. Now, if they build out their ethanol industry like they say they want to build out over the next couple of years, they will need our corn. And that's very exciting. The other thing that's exciting is they're definitely are fighting a smog issue. They've talked about buying ethanol. Now, we know the ethanol industry is really struggling right now. The margins are in the black, are in the red. That would help a lot. If we could open up that market and get them buying ethanol again, that just we've got to feed that market, and that should be bullish of corn as well. Back to soybeans for a moment. The Chinese are talking about growing more of their own. Uh, they, there was some statement from the Chinese Ag Ministry about that this week, that they wanted to not only increase the amount of hectares devoted to soybeans, but to try to find a way to improve the uh, oil and the protein content of those beans, too. So that that tends to uh, to lend a little bit of bearishness, I guess, long-term to beans, if indeed they follow through with that. But that would be hectares that they wouldn't be trying to grow corn on. Well, exactly. They're going to Essentially, what's going to happen is they're going to try, looks like they're going to try to diversify away from the corn a little bit, get to a little bit more beans. But the fact of the matter is, with the amount of hogs they produce. I mean, they produce 750 million head of hog, hogs a year. Now, it's down a little bit this year due to the African swine flu, but as a whole, they are a massive producer of hogs. You take the amount of hogs you have in the United States, the next 49 countries combined, including us, and that's the amount of hogs they produce in China, to put it in perspective. So they need a lot of protein to feed, them, to feed those hogs. They will bump up their demand, their domestic production a little bit, but... In the big scheme, they're still going to have to be a big importer of beans from Bus and South America. So what are you telling your uh, farmer customers, given the fact that there is that potential out there for some very friendly news relative to corn? Well, right now, what we're telling our customers right now is now now's the time to be prepared because it's going to be emotional and it's probably going to be short-lived. That's the history of the markets nowadays. I mean, like you said, it's, I've been doing this for 24 years, and it seems like when we get news, it happens instantaneously. The market prices it in within minutes. So we're telling customers, you know, be prepared. Margins are tight this year. There's no doubt about it, Max. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of producers across the country that we know times are a little bit tight. We get this opportunity to rally corn, which I think there's a decent shot. We've got that opportunity down the line. We want producers to think, hey, how do I market this grain? How do I protect profits? How do I make sure I'm making sound business decisions going into the spring and summer? And for heaven's sake, don't just assume that that price is going to continue climbing. All we have to do is remember the end of May last year. Well, that's it. I mean, things can change quite quite dramatically. There is no doubt about it. We're in a new time frame for world politics and all that. There's a lot of positives out there. Um, but they could it could derail. I mean, the fact of the matter is... NAFTA has been signed, but has not been ratified by the by the countries. That could still fall apart. 
Um, we are trying to negotiate with Japan. We're trying to negotiate with the European Union right now on these bilateral or unilateral trade deals. But they could fall apart. So you, you don't want to – when you have that opportunity to lock in profits, we're stressing, hey, take that money, lock it in and farm for – you know and farm for the long term. A negative on the corn front, though, has to be that second crop in Brazil, correct? I mean, it hasn't the rains and the rain situation improved there, but the prospect of better corn yields and that sarfrenia crop? Yes. Yeah. The, the fact of the matter is there is plenty of grain in the world that will cap the rallies. I mean, when I say rallies, I'm talking 20, 30, 40 cents. I'm not talking dollar move because there is plenty of grain in the world. Heck, there's plenty of wheat in the world right now. Um, so we're, that will cap it. But, yes, the South American crop looks a lot better than what it did just a few weeks ago. They've definitely had some million-dollar rains down there. The acreage shift that everybody keeps focusing on, and you were talking about the possibility of maybe two to three million more acres of corn. I talked to a lot of growers, especially across the heart of the corn belt, who say, hey, you know, we're, we're probably not going to mess with it much. Uh, they like that 50-50 balance. One farmer in southeast Indiana told me that just the other day as we sat in his shop, that he's probably not going to change that much. Are you hearing that, too, from many of your customers? Yes, I believe for the most part, guys getting in this rotation, they have found trying to chase that next year's, you know, you know, the high price, it doesn't last. And lots of times they don't get it sold anyway, so the shift just kind of screws it all up. So I think most are going to stay in it. That's why we're talking two to three million acres. A lot of that might have to do with rotation. I think a lot of that acres is probably going to come out of the north. I mean, the fact of the matter is that's the area. It's the Dakotas is the area that got hit the hardest by the China trade war because those beans that are produced in that part of the country are pretty much shipped west to go out to Pacific Northwest ports. They're the ones that just got absolutely clobbered by the bean bases. They've got beans sitting everywhere unless China starts taking their beans. So I think they're kind of shifting a little bit more back to corn. Just on the fear, do I really want to essentially be sitting on two bean crops counting on maybe or maybe not China's going to cut a deal with the U.S.? Jim, it's always been good to visit with you. And now as you have a, a new business on your business card, refresh our memory. Tell us again. Uh, I'm, like I said, our new business is agmarket.net. We are the farm division of John Stewart and Associates. And they can find you at agmarket.net, I trust. You can find us on our webpage at agmarket.net. Jim McCormick, thank you. Good to see you again. Thank you again for having me, Max. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. As we talk about agriculture and market prices in grains and livestock, one commodity we haven't mentioned, and that was pointed out to me this week in an email from a listener who is a cotton producer. He said, you and Max never talk about cotton prices, and we have to know what's happening in that market. And he's right. We don't talk about cotton and the cotton market a great deal. But let me share these headlines with you for the cotton market because ice cotton futures slipped more than 1% this Friday after combined weekly export sales data from the U.S. government fell short of investors' expectations. And the most active cotton contract on the ice futures U.S., the May contract, settled down a penny at $73.01 a pound. 
in the USDA sales and exports report was disappointing, according to one trader. So there we talked a little bit about cotton, and that's in response to what we heard from one of you out there. As we take a look at the other numbers and where we'll be starting trade on Monday when we get back into a full week of trade, livestock futures for the day, the uh, June lean hog contract ended with a gain of 10 cents a hundredweight. It ended the week at $75.77. February live cattle gained 92 cents a hundredweight today to end the week at $128.55 a hundredweight. And the April feeder cattle contract up rather down just 10 cents a hundredweight. It ended the week at $145.42 a hundredweight. But taking a look now at the grain market for this trading week, uh, both grain and soybean futures went back and forth in the market today. Why? You know why. Because they're waiting for something definite from the talks on trade with China and the United States. And after the close of trading today, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue said on Twitter that China, in a meeting at the White House, committed to buy an additional 10 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans. But some traders said, we need even bigger commitments than that. Soy shipments to China dried up last year, of course, when we got into the trade disagreement. And uh, one trader said, uh, the feeling is, let's walk away and see what happens with the administration and the U.S.-China trade talks. Stakes, of course, are higher for farmers in the trade negotiations because China is the world's largest soy importer and the major buyer of other goods such as grain sorghum. So for the day and for the ending of the week, uh, here's where we settled. The March wheat contract closed at $4.85 a bushel, down a penny and a half for the day. The March corn contract at three seventy-five and a quarter, down just a quarter of a cent for the day. The other months were fractionally higher. And March soybeans ended the day a penny lower at $9.10 a bushel. And the markets just keep waiting for something definite on the talks between China and the United States. But, you know, that's not the only trade negotiation item that's on the calendar. In addition to U.S. and China trade disagreements, we are involved in negotiations now with the European Union and the United States. And here's the latest headline on that today from Paris. France opposes including agricultural products in any trade deal between the United States and the European Union. A French official said, the president has said it already. France is opposed to signing any European Union-U.S. trade deal that would include agricultural products. It is an absolute red line for France. So how can you do an agreement with the European Union and not 
include agriculture. Sorry, France, doesn't make sense to keep that out of this story. A report today from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, said it has agreed to conduct a long-delayed study to assess the impact that burning ethanol as a motor vehicle fuel has on air quality. The Sierra Club had filed a lawsuit against the EPA late last year in an effort to compel the agency to conduct the study, which the group said was supposed to be done roughly eight years ago. The two party parties reached a partial agreement, and the APA said it will conduct the study by March of 2020. Now, the outcome of that study could trigger new EPA action on the Renewable Fuel Standard Law. That's the law that requires the use of biofuels in the nation's gasoline and diesel. If it finds that burning ethanol makes the air dirtier, those uh, standards could be changed. The Renewable Fuel Standard, first established in 2005, has been financially good for farmers, but environmental groups like Sierra Club said it creates an incentive to convert land for farming and helps maintain a dependence on combustible engines. So we'll have to wait to see what that new study will conclude. Oh, and one final note. USDA said today that farmers so far have received $7.7 billion in the uh, aid to help farmers who were hurt by retaliatory tariffs imposed by China. So we'll end on that note because that's our time. Always a pleasure to visit with you, and we hope you join Max and me every week when we come your way on the markets.